Uh, so today we are taking a break from our series in um, the Gospel of Mark. We have a great opportunity, so we're just pressing pause on the Gospel of Mark. We're going to pick it back up next week. Uh, but the reason that we're pressing pause is because uh, we've got some friends, friends of Desert Springs, friends of mine, who are, gonna, who are able to be here this Sunday and share with us from the Word of God. So I'm going to invite Don and Renee Wooster to join us. Uh, they serve here. Uh, Don and Renee Wooster of Young Life fame. Almost everyone I know is like, oh, from Young Life. Uh, so we're connected to them through Young Life as well as uh, some other variety of ways. They hosted a uh, 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 minister and spouse uh, retreat, marriage retreat last year. And so uh, that's where um, we got this idea, I think, from. And we're actually going to be hosting a marriage getaway with them in June. And so the information on that is in your handouts. Uh, but we just wanted them to come share from the Word today and a little bit about their experience so you can get to know them. And uh, that's it. That's Love it. you guys. So glad that you're here. Can we just say welcome to Desert Springs? Thank you. Um, I'm almost sure that if you come back tonight, there'll be one car in the parking lot. It'll be Caleb's. He'll be going up and down the elevator. So can't guarantee that, but it just in my spirit, I just sensed it, that uh, he will be taking full advantage. That's really cool that you guys would invest extravagantly to make something really beautiful. Um, so where to go? That's a blessing. Yeah. yeah. Or selling elevator passes. We heard that Caleb's selling elevator I did hear that. Passes. He's doing that as a yeah. side hustle. As a side 30 hustle. bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. true. Hey, good morning. It's so good to be with you. And um, we have a history with Desert Springs as well. Um, we have four kids. Uh, our oldest, Keaton, is 30. And Jacob is 24. And our daughter, Emma, is 22. And our youngest daughter, Abigail, is 19. And I had told our 24-year-old Emma that we were going to be here this morning. And she said, oh, yeah, I love Desert Springs. And I said, what do, you, what do you remember about Desert Springs? She goes, well, I went to preschool there. And I go, yes, that's right. And she said, I have a lot of memories about Desert Springs. And I go, what do you remember about preschool? And she goes, well, she goes, I remember that I missed bike day. And I go, right. I go, because you had a fever. And she goes, but you did make me miss it. And I go, that's true. I did make you miss it. You did have to stay home. And she goes, there was only one bike day. You made me miss it. And I go, okay, I got it, got it. And then she said, and then I remember that I got to take home a stuffed monkey and then had the monkey at home all week and went to all my activities. And I go, another really great memory about Desert Springs, right? And then she said, and then the last day was the dad, the last memory she said was dad's day. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. They had a father's day. And they had this day where dads came to visit and the teacher interviewed each preschooler, asked them questions about their dad. And then the dads came and saw the display of all the assessment, the profile of each dad on the wall and the information that each preschooler gave. Yeah. And Emma said that Don was... Uh, that was, he was 10 feet tall, yeah. and that he weighed 12 pounds. Yeah. a little slimmer then. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, at that point, Don was a therapist at Ramuda Ranch, and he was working with adolescent girls in this treatment center for eating disorder. Yeah. And she also um, reported that Don talked to girls all day at his work. <laughs> so yeah. Don showed up to the Father's Night, and apparently it was... 
10 yeah. feet, 12 pounds, talk to girls all day yeah. At, yeah. The, at his work. Yes. I got to meet all the other dads. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was, it was fun to, to walk around and see, oh, he's a policeman, oh, he's a businessman, and I go to work and talk to girls all day. Um, um, but you know what? Uh, this church has been in our life, and it's been a blessing, and so thank you. Uh, if you're new or if you're old, there's something really right about gathering and wanting to um, uh, create a safe and a good place for people to gather. That's just good. Um, so we're really uh, blessed that we've gotten to be a little bit of part of that history. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about marriage um, this morning. We're going to do a little bit of a flyover. And part of our uh, little capsules to take a look at that, uh, if you look at marriage, and so we're just calling this the good, uh, the bad, and the beautiful. Um, the good, uh, which when we look in scriptures to see, man, how much goodness God brings. In Genesis, the very first chapter of Genesis, when God begins creating, it is dripping in goodness. Um, everything he brings, everything he says, everything that comes into existence is just pregnant with goodness. It's just in every act and every word that's happening. Um, <clears throat> you know, as your kids are growing up, in our family, we'd have lots of discussions just randomly about faith, about life, about relationships. And I remember Jacob, when he was about seven, he goes, hey, dad, he goes, what do you think heaven's going to smell like? Um, and I go, wow, Jacob, you know, I've, I've taken some seminary classes, but I don't think I know. Like, do you have any ideas about what heaven will smell like? And he goes, I think it's got to smell like bacon. <laughs> right? It's got to smell like bacon. Isn't heaven good? He goes, anything smell better than bacon? I go, Jacob, thank you. I just think you answered a question I'd never asked before. That, yeah, because of the, the, this sense of goodness, right, that is in everything that God does. At the end of Genesis 1, after that first creation uh, account comes in, it says that uh, the declaration is that God looked at everything he'd done. On that last day, he's going to enter the rest. And it says, and God's declaration is that it was very Good. Tov meo is the phrase. And it means very, very, very bacony kind of good. That's what God says in Genesis 1, right? The only thing in Genesis 2 that God mentions that isn't good is that when he sees uh, a man by himself, and God said, it's not good to be alone. Um, that's not a statement about marriage. We're not all married. We're not all called to marriage. Um, you know, marriage is a relational status, but alone is an emotional status. Yeah. And God said, I don't want anyone to be alone. Mm -hmm. It's got nothing to do with marriage. I don't want anyone to be alone. That is not good. And I would say no matter where you are, no matter where you fit, no matter where you come and where you're going, here's what I'd say. God doesn't want you to be alone. Uh, regardless of what your marital status is, uh, marriage is a beautiful gift, um, but God doesn't want any of us to be alone. Uh, friendship, community, family, church, he wants us to belong. That's the only declaration that we're not alone. At the end of Genesis, Genesis 2, when God finishes that, um, God says, hey, you know what? Um, I am actually inviting you to come together into this one. And so a man and a woman leaves and they become together. And God says, marriage, I want, you to, I want there to be a goodness in your life. And I want there to be a fullness in marriage, the union of two people. And it says that they're naked and unashamed. Mm -hmm. 
You know, when you're naked, and after about three or four, it's hard for us to run around naked and feel good about it. Um, but before then, uh, three or four-year-olds have no problem crashing. Um, and you kind of go, because of the innocence and the purity that is part of their lives. And there was a time when we had that our entire lives, all the way through. Naked and unashamed. We can stand before ourselves, and we can handle our nakedness. We can see one another, and we can stand before God naked. That was freedom. That was goodness. And everything God says and does into us as he begins, kind of looking about our lives and the sense of marriage, is full of goodness. Yeah. Even that idea in Genesis 1 and 2 is this whole idea that God's heart is being placed in us for this connectedness, for this friendship, for this way of being known and knowing another person. Because that's his heart, because that's in his relationship inside the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have a relationship, and they also are creating us out of that. So there's this connectedness, right, that we all yearn for, really. When we look at other people, we go, wow, I really want to be known and seen and loved. And we want that inside of relationship. That's a good yearning. Because God put it inside of us and he put it inside of marriage. And that's the good design, right? That, wa- that, that word has been kind of watered down, good, right? But the truth is there's this yearning inside of us that God, when he talked about good, he meant better than we can imagine, more than we know, greater than our desires when he talks about relationship. And he loves that idea of us coming to know who we are. And, you know, as Don said about kids, the truth is, like, as we have this place inside of us, we know that our kids kind of show us that as far as relationship. And when Emma was in kindergarten, she came home and she said that she went to, uh, to lunch that day. And when she went to lunch, she, when I picked her up from school that day, she said, she goes, well, there was some stuff that happened at lunch. And I go, oh, tell me about it. Because usually in the car on the way ride home the, where you get the best information. And so I said, well, tell me what happened. And she goes, well, she goes, I was at one lunch table with all the girls. And, and all the boys are at another lunch table. And what we saw was that uh, Luke, she said, uh, is a boy who was sitting over at the boys' table. And he got up with his Spider-Man lunch pail, and he came over and sat next to Emma, and everyone turned, because it was a ruckus, right? And so everyone turns and says, what is this? Luke has come to sit at the girls' table. And then he couldn't help himself, and then he just exclaimed, I love Emma! (laughs) (laughs) And And everyone, it went chaotic, and she was telling me about it, and she goes, the girls started screaming, the boys started running, and I go, wow, what did you, and she goes, she goes, well, she goes, it all got figured out, mom. And I go, okay, well, that's good, good to know, right? But from a very young age, right, we have this kind of attraction. So when Dawn comes home, I'm reporting about the day and the things that are going on with the kids. And I said, hey, I, I would want to tell you what happened today with Emma and with Luke. And so he goes, okay, I'm going to go in and have a little conversation with Emma, yeah, and I thought it'd be a good moment to just, you know, wrap up. I'm going to use my, you know, my, I'm doing my, my pre-doctoral uh, training at that point, so I thought I'll have some good contribution here. So I sit down with Emma, and I go, Emma, you know, tell me about what happened. And so she goes, Dad, it's okay. We're just going to be friends. 
Uh, and I go, that's great. And then I thought, well, I'll follow up. I go, you know, Emma, someday there may be a boy in your life and he may, you know, he may want to be with you. He may even want to marry you. But here's the thing. If he wants to marry you, he has to love you more than anyone else. Do you understand that? He's got to love you the very, very, very most. And she goes, yeah. She goes, actually, dad, I, I think he, he needs to love Jesus a little bit more than me, right? Does it, I think he needs to love Jesus a little bit more than me. Mm-hmm. She goes, and then I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's right, I was just testing you. <laughs> little five-year-old, and here's what I would say, I think in the innocence and the purity of her heart, she kind of goes, you know what, if someone I'm with really loves Jesus, I know Jesus is tender towards me, and if they love Jesus, mm-hmm. they'll have something to give me. Right, Dad? Um, And I think that's part of the goodness and that God releases goodness and he calls us to release that same goodness into one another. Mm -hmm. So that's the good part Mm -hmm. of. Yes. And I think in our hearts, you know, that she knew, she goes, hey, there's a protection that's allowed inside this place with Christ. When we sense that there's something bigger than us going on, then something different happens inside of our hearts. And we could actually receive and give this delight back and forth, right? And a lot of times what brings us into a relationship and into marriage is the delight that we see in the other. And that as we are seen, we have that same delight as well. And then we get married and then it kind of becomes this thing where you go, and now we have duties because we have a car payment and a mortgage and little people running around and a schedule. And then it comes to this place where we have all these duties, right? And really, inside of marriage, there's both this duty and delight, right? There's this place where we're following Christ with our whole hearts, right? But we can sometimes lose kind of the delight part inside of us. We can forget that there's delight that God sees us, that we're known and loved in this deep way. And that we want to see the delight inside of the other person's eyes. But really, it's like a bicycle that both things are going on at the same time inside of relationship. We do have duty and we do have delight. And those are both going on. Yeah. So we're for sure, before there was original sin, there was original goodness. And that goodness is never, God never changes his mind. But in Genesis 3, we read about something bad. We read about something destructive happening in the creation story. And in that creation story, all that goodness is kind of invaded. We kind of are representatives, make this decision to turn and kind of do it on our own and create our own. And that kind of separation uh, really snowballs and it divides and it distorts and it deceives and it destroys. And all of this bad comes pouring in. All this bad comes pouring in. Where we were naked and unashamed, now we can't stand the exposure. And so you read in Genesis 3 that God is coming in the garden now they've jumped in the bushes and they're covered up. And he said, you know, where were you? And he goes, well, I heard your voice and I was afraid, so I hid. Because I was naked. We were created this way. We were created naked. But he said, who told you you were naked? There's an enemy in the world and he would want to steal our freedom. He'd want to steal our joy. And he brings all this other reframing and redefining into our lives that now we're hiding from ourselves, from each other, and from God. And that is not the original design. That's not the original intent. 
<clears throat> but as that comes into our relationship together, it has expressions as well, and it affects how we can connect. Yeah. I think when we think of that, we go, God made the garden, and then we get to this place where this sin and this shame come against us in this way where our relationship becomes a jungle. It becomes this place where it's very forested, where we can't see one another, where the thing that we saw before is no longer there. And all of us bring our own history and our own places of relationship, broken as they are, into our relationship. To try and understand and make sense of this relationship, we're trying to figure out what's going on with us. But in our minds, there's this place where it feels very much like a jungle, right? Where there's more survival than there is freedom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as that flows into relationships, uh, it shows up kind of in the dynamic of our relationship. And so some of the things that we see um, that our differences uh, begin to feel like defects, um, that our union can feel violating, um, that our love may turn into loneliness. That hope can be overtaken by hurt and caring is, a down, is downgraded to control and we tolerate rather than celebrate. In the jungle, there are these things that happen to us that all of a sudden you go, what got lost? What happened for us in this time where we can't see the same things? We can't feel the same things. We're self-protecting. We're not knowing how to connect the way that God designed. Yeah. Uh, 2022 we were in a time machine and we went back 30 years from today. Um, I have a different life. Um, and it's a life that's about to completely melt down, implode, explode in a really public way. I was, um, I'd gone to school, kind of went through some, some different things in my own experience, but then got a master's in counseling and a lot of theology. And I was in the East Valley, moved out there in the 1990s, started Young Life Ministry at Gilbert High School. Um, I was also training Young Life staff. I had a master's in counseling. I was doing marriage counseling. And I was a student ministries director of a large church. All those things. I'd gotten married two years before. And a year into that marriage, the wheels came off. Um, the woman I was with decided she didn't want to be married and not to me. I was in this church. I had all this responsibility. I was doing marriage counseling. Uh, and all these answers and all this information that I had for other people, that I was giving to other people, None of them were working in my own life. And so 30 years ago, next week, I stood up in front of that thousand person church and said, um, my life's broken. And I don't have any answers. So if you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you need me to go, I'll go. And um, God, God came into my brokenness in a way that um, if you asked me 30 years ago what my life would look like, I wouldn't have said I was here. I wouldn't have said that uh, we'd be celebrating a long marriage together with her. And I sure wouldn't be telling you that we're talking about a marriage conference. Um, but here's the thing. Um, dry bones really do come together. I can tell you the sound of dry bones rattling. Um, so... Um, uh, that's the flyover version, but I would tell you, uh, Brennan Manning said, a saint is not someone who's good, a saint is someone who's tasted the goodness of God. I've tasted goodness. Um, and so that we're here is God's kindness and extravagance, but it's for real. 
Yeah, I was um, raised in the Midwest in Iowa, and um, my parents actually met the Lord when um, they were pregnant with me. And um, my parents uh, named me Renee because Renee means born again, reborn. And so they were like, we have a different life. And so um, after they had me, we were in church, and my family became pretty disillusioned with faith and the church in a, in a season. And I think during that time was when I was growing up, and, and during that, when they kind of were getting a little checked out, um, I started to get involved with drinking and um, experimenting with drugs, and I became sexually active. And my story has its own kind of brokenness, and when I got to college, I remember that I called my parents, and I, and I thought what I was going to say is that I wanted to quit college. When I called them, instead what came out of my mouth is, I want to quit my life. My parents came, and they um, had lunch with me, and they talked to me about life and said, my mom said a statement to me that has stayed with me. She said, maybe this has something to do with God. And it was enough of a seed that I was like, I can't imagine that God would ever receive me. But maybe, that just put this thought inside of me that maybe, maybe God could invite me back. Maybe he could cover me in this way that I don't know. So fast forward all the way to I move out to Phoenix, Arizona after college, and um, I was in business, and then I went on staff with Young Life, and so I knew about Don's story. And, um, and then after his divorce, um, Don and I started uh, seeing one another and dating, and he, that's where our son comes into play. And one of the gifts was when Keaton, our oldest son, and when he's 30 now, when we got married, he was three. And I remember that people asked a lot of questions because in brokenness, we don't know how things will work out. And I had people ask me questions about what would happen, and I was like, I don't know. But I have seen God restore me in such a way that I think that he can take care of this part too. And God did this miraculous thing of my heart loving him and him responding to me and us getting to have three more kids after that. Because the truth is, like, us being in the jungle, us not understanding how the end of the story is going to be written is part of our neediness. It's in the equation that God would put himself in the middle of it, that he would say, you're going to need me to go through all those things. And even as we think about coming out of the jungle, coming out of the bad into a different place, the Lord goes, I specifically put it so that you would need me inside of a marriage relationship. You'll need something greater than yourself. Yeah. You'll need something different than you. Yeah. Um, here's what's beautiful. Beautiful. What's beautiful is that our brokenness is not the last word. Here's what's beautiful. God is better at restoring us than we are at breaking us. Here's what's beautiful. He comes and looks for people that are lost and hurt and upset. That's beautiful. It's not that we're good. It's that in his goodness, he keeps coming. And when he finds us, it's not with a frown. It's not with a finger pointing. It's with a scooping us up to go, let's start again. 
and let's see what can happen. That's something bigger than us. That's something um, that's bigger than our brokenness. Uh, and we think that's beautiful. And we think marriage is a place where that beauty can come together. God can put things together that don't belong. God can blend history. God can blend hurts. God can come into things that can't be whole by themselves and bring a wholeness. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think one of the things for us is like the story that's been written before this has its own kind of voice. And even as you think about the things going into the future, you have this tape running. We have this tape running about what might happen. And there have been times in my life where I'm like, you know what, Lord, my voice is too loud. I need something to be bigger than my own voice. And even in John, as he points to Jesus, John the Baptist says, hey, something greater than me is coming. And all of us sense that inside of marriage relationship, parenting relationship, family relationship, friendship, that we go, I need something that will be greater than me. And I need a voice that is louder than my own voice. And even as we think about it, we go, the beautiful is, is that it is a greater love. It is a greater voice. There is this place that God is inviting us in to be dependent on him and to hear from him about what he thinks about these relationships that are inside of us. Yeah, if you've been married for any length of time, you know how messy it is. Um, you know how mysterious it is because you don't really know what's going on. And you know you need a miracle. Um, and it turns out that Jesus knows that too. In John 2, the very first thing Jesus does to display who he is is the wedding in Canaan. And he goes to this wedding and he goes to their reception, which was a five or six day event. And three or four days in, they're out of wine. And Jesus is there. And um, his mother tells his servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. If you only have one piece of marital advice that you'll ever hear, do whatever Jesus tells you. Because here's what he does. Um, he takes a couple that had enough to start a life together and ran out. Um, and then he came into that situation and he transformed something as mundane as water into wine. And not the $3 Coastal Red. And I'm not being critical of that Coastal Red <laughs> because I drink that. But he actually brings a wine that's better than what they started with. Because that's what Jesus always does. Would we run out of what we have and we'll open ourselves to what he does? He goes, can I bring something better? And not just a little bit. I'm going to bring a lot. More than you can consume even now. And I would say that is good news. That he, that John says, if you have to understand to look in this frame for this very first miracle I'm doing is to understand all that God's up to. He goes, I know you're going to run out. I knew it when you started. Marriage is a miracle. You can only start it. There's no way you can finish it on your own. Yeah. He goes, I knew that at the beginning, but here's the deal. When you run out, I want to come in. Mm -hmm. And I've got more. And it's the good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that's good news. Because of the work that we do with um, marriages, a lot of times we get invited to weddings and we always hear, like, the declaration of what people are saying they're, they're going to do inside of their relationship. And if you've been married for a while, you're in the audience and you're a witness to it, but you also know you will run out. And that's on purpose. Because we need the Lord to bring in the new wine. And a different kind of way to love, a different view to see the other person. 
And the truth is there's this place inside of us that goes, but what about our limitations? And we love that song that we sang at the very beginning about dry bones because in Ezekiel 37, it talks about the dry bones, right? Everyone has places of desolation inside of their life. Places where they go, what will happen with the dry bones? God will have to call to them to make them live again. And there are places where the beauty comes because God has to call to them inside of our life that we have had to trust ourselves, entrust ourselves to the Lord in this way that we would have him speak to our dry bones, speak to the places that we go, I don't know, how will we trust God with that? That seems too big. I remember a day that I got off the phone with some, some situation that was really hard, and I said, what will happen? And Don had this phrase back to me that stuck with me. He said, God will have to get bigger than we know him to be today. And the truth is, there are things in our life that we go, how is God going to get bigger in this situation? Yeah, we did a marriage conference um, seven or eight years ago, and a couple called, and they kind of go, hey, we're in a divorce. And I go, well, you're still invited. Um, and she goes, yeah, but I don't even know if my, if my about-to-be ex wants to go. And we go, well, you could ask him. And she did, and he said he would go. And she was talking to Ray, and I go, what harm can we do? Like, what can, like what's the worst that can happen? You guys are already separated and divorced. Why don't you come and hang out? Um, and they, they came, and the Lord did a funny thing. And on that Sunday morning, they go, hey, do, uh, it's kind of awkward. Do, do we have to get divorced? I go, I don't think that's a law. I mean, talk to your attorney, but I don't think you have to, right? And here's the thing is that you kind of go, it's dead. It's too late. We're, we've been disconnected, you know, since 1996. I mean, this isn't going to happen. And here's all I'd say is, you know what? Uh, that Jesus talks to dead things too. Yeah. In John 11, he goes to, you know, he misses Lazarus's illness. He misses his death. He misses his funeral. It's now been four days. And he goes, hey, move the stone. They go, it's going to smell bad in there. I know people have said, don't even open the door. I don't even want to talk about that in our relationship. There's a bad smell in there. You missed it. It's too late. Here's all I'd say. Jesus goes, too late for who? The king of kings, the lord of life, move the stone. Right? It's too late for us. If we're depending on us, it's probably too late. But man, if Jesus moves the stone and says to Lazarus and he calls him by name, come on up. I don't think Jesus has quit calling to dead things or dead people. I don't think he ever stops that. Um, it would be a miracle, and we don't do miracles, but we've seen Jesus do some, and it's pretty amazing, his kindness and goodness. Yeah. So we're inviting you also to our marriage retreat that's in June, and some of it for us is that we feel like the Lord wants to deposit good inside of our marriage relationship. And we would love to see if you'd want to come to that. It's on your, it's on Desert Springs website, um, The Great Escape. And what we have seen in the last few years is it go, it's been rough on relationships. We could lose connection and the vitality that we need inside of our relationship. Yeah. And so we invite you to come and be with us for that weekend. And we'd love to see if you could make it. But we know that God is greater that he has better wines, that he can call dry bones, and he can be the voice that's louder in our life today. 
and we'd love to pray to finish our time. Yeah. Uh, so, Lord, thanks. Thanks that you come and find us. Uh, we wander, we wonder, we're wounded, and yet you're a good shepherd, and you seek us out, Lord, uh, to scoop us up and bring us to your home, Lord, a place that we're invited, a place that we belong, a place that you uh, bind up broken hearts and open eyes and start us again. So we want to say yes to you and what you're up to. Help us not get in the way, but help us believe um, that you're trustworthy and good and real. And thanks for this time this morning with these great folks. Thanks for this place that keeps inviting people in um, to see what you can do. And we say yes and amen to that.